In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. But we don't only bring you thought leaders from around the world. We have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to this series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data, data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because you can hear us on every major podcast platform from Apple Podcasts to Google Play to Stitches to Spotify. Now, if you'd like to give us some suggestions on what would like to hear on the show, please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now on to our today's episode and I'm very very excited about this because it's one of my favorite subjects. I mean, today we live in a global economy and a multicultural world. And being culturally adapt is becoming ever more important. And it doesn't matter if you call it cultural intelligence, adaptiveness, sensitivity, being culturally agile. But if it doesn't matter what we call it. But if you're a professional in this world, you must have some kind of cultural understanding. But this is easier said than done. Many individuals and companies do not understand the importance of cultural agility, and they don't understand or they're unsure what kind of competencies contribute to that. And today we're going to talk to an expert about these competencies and how important it is to be culturally agile. Dr. Paula Kelly Jury is a distinguished professor of international business at Northeastern University at the DeMore McKim School of Business. She has been named as one of the most famous and prophetic authors in international business for her work in cross-cultural management, global leadership development, and cultural agility. She is the president of the 
TASCA Global, a consulting firm that specializes in assessing and developing culturally agile professionals and boosts a client list that includes the U.S. Army, Peace Corps, 3M, and Johnson & Johnson. She's a frequent guest on CNN, CNN International, and the author of LinkedIn Learning course called Managing Globally. And her book is Build Your Cultural Agility, the Nine Competencies of Successful Global Professionals. And this is available on Amazon. So, Paula, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you, Kimberly. So, um, you, you've you been teaching this for quite some time, and then you wrote the book. So, what moved you to say, I I really have to write a book about this? Oh, gosh. You know, cultural agility, it, it, it's, it's one of those competencies that every professional needs, but there's such a set of myths around how people become good at it that I felt the need to write the book to sort of set, almost set the <laughs> record straight on how we become really good at this. Um, it is, it's amazing how few people who are in multicultural roles and international roles uh, really don't have cultural agility. So that, that was my purpose for writing the book, is to dispel some of the myths. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a great book, and you, you start out the book um, talking about, you know, um, ambiguity, okay? You know, that, uh, you know, people have a certain tolerance of ambiguity, okay, and and why that is important. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So tolerance of ambiguity is a really interesting construct because it, it, it kind of has a nurture nature component to it. Um, we are all uniquely comfortable with being in unpredictable, uncertain, um, complicated situations. Some people love it, thrive in it, more the better, the more novel, the better. And other people are like, no, 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 too much. I want to order what I order at every restaurant that I go to. I want to know what I'm eating. I want to know where I'm going. I want to. So, so there's this huge variance of individual difference around how we are wired for tolerance of ambiguity. Yet at the same time, kind of life circumstances build us out to even have more and more and more of it. And it's one of those competencies that unless we have it, we tend not to be really effective in a multicultural environment. So it's a really important one. Well, in the in the book, you ha- you quote that only about seventeen percent of of professionals actually are comfortable with ambiguity. Okay, uh, is I mean that for me that number sounded quite low. Yeah, and again, it goes back to this nurture nature issue. You know, where it's it's kind of genetically wired how our bodies handle handle you know dopamine and and what makes us kind of you know whether we're kind of the thrill seeking type that wants to jump out of an airplane or do extreme skiing and you know travel the world without a map. You know <laughs> that type, <laughs> or we're the kind of the people who are a little more you know, desirable to keep the situation very predictable. Um, and roughly, you know, think about a, a, a typical bell curve and most of us kind of, you know, collect on this, this bell curve. And at, at the top of the curve are those who are really high, naturally high in tolerance of ambiguity. And that roughly is, you know, that the 17% that you quoted. So people who are naturally comfortable with ambiguity is, is a, is a pretty small group. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, 
when you think about professionals, I mean, is there a way that you can probably, you know, increase the tolerance of ambiguity or uh, is, is, you know, if you're, you know, if the 17% stays the same or, or how do you help people become more comfortable with the unknown? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you think about it, you know, tolerance of ambiguity, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Our brains are inherently lazy. You know, we want to get comfortable quickly. They want to get to comfort. They want to get to ease. They want to get to cognitive ease, social ease, and the like. Um, one of the ways that we can help people build that, you know, increase that, so it's not 70% that we, you know, help the world become yeah. more tolerant of ambiguity, is that we can we can um, practice really basic things like spending more time in mindfulness, that idea of being fully present in the moment we're in. What that does is it essentially slows our brains down. So rather than that lazy brain kind of moving us to comfort and moving us to, you know, see what we always have seen, it gives us that moment to actually experience difference in a more comfortable way. So mindfulness is a, is a nice way to increase that comfort tolerance of ambiguity. Um, I encourage people to use less of this. It's called black and white thinking. The idea that it's this or that. And it, you know, that's again, our brains being really lazy. So it's good, bad, right, wrong, professional, mm-hmm. unprofessional. Instead of that really quick judgment, we give ourselves more time to be in that gray area to make that, that call, that judgment. Again, it's, it's tolerating that, that ambiguity for a little while longer. Um, likewise, slowing down you know, your, your formation of those opinions. Anything that, that essentially reduces your reflective response helps us build tolerance of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And and how much does a personality have to do with that? Um, you know, there's so many different personality, um, you know, Meyer, from Myers-Briggs to other kinds of personality tests. I mean, it, does personality drive maybe somebody has more tolerance or, or has less tolerance? Yeah. So if you think about, you know, where personality comes from, about 50% of a, an expressed personality trait has a heritable component. And that's a lot of words just to say you're kind of hardwired for your dispositional traits. And and part of that is how our bodies handle things like serotonin and dopamine. In the case of tolerance of ambiguity, if you imagine how your body handles dopamine, it's like how quickly does your body say, oh, too much, too much, too much. This is too much stimulation. This is too much ambiguity. This is too much, you know, how quickly does your body seek comfort or does your brain want to seek comfort? That That's part of it. So that's dopamine. Dopamine is affecting things like openness and extroversion. Those are personality traits. And those traits then filter into that tolerance of ambiguity. So if you think about how you're kind of naturally wired to even kind of become anxious, um, that starts to bubble up through that. That's the nature side of of this uh, competency. But again, it can be built. You can just, you can spend some time really slowing down that processor and uh, getting more comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. So so it can be built. And in your book, yeah, that in your book you talk also about another factor, and you talk about curiosity. Okay, yes. so there's ambiguity and there's curiosity. So, how important? What does curiosity have to do with this whole thing? Right. Yeah. So, so I always struck around like curiosity is like a flashlight in a dark room. If you don't have a clue of what's going on, if you can't see anything in front of you, but you have a flashlight, guess what? It becomes a lot clearer. So much of us sort of bumble around the world w- without 
asking questions or seeking information or doing the research that we need that would actually help clarify um, what it is we're experiencing. So curiosity is just a really good tool in situations that are multicultural because we need to begin with the assumption that we don't naturally know that how things work in that culture. We have to begin from that place and then use that curiosity to fill it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I like that. I like the um, flashlight in the dark room. So you know, when if you're a curious person, would that probably lead you to be a little bit more, uh, you know, agile culturally? Um, you know, because you're you're trying to see how things work. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the belief. So so really, when it when it comes right down to it, cultural agility is the ability to say, no matter how good I am you know, whether you're in finance or journalism or medicine, whatever your professional field, no matter how good you are, until you fully understand the cultural context you're in, you cannot be successful. So curiosity is one of those nine critical competencies because it helps you say, you know what, I admit I don't understand this context, but the more I learn, the more effective I can become. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'd like to explore some of those competencies, those nine companies. Um, but we're going to we're going to take a, a short break. And when we come back, I'd like to really try to talk a little bit more about the cultural agility and, and some of the competencies behind the cultural agility. And Sounds for great. our listeners, that's yeah. So for our listeners, we are talking with Dr. Paula Kelly Jury, and she is a distinguished professor at the DeMore McKim School of Business at Northeastern University. Um, she lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and she is a frequent expert on CNN, CNN International, and author of the LinkedIn Learning Course, Managing Globally. And she has a new book out, and the book is Build Your Cultural Agility, The Nine Competencies of Successful Global Professionals, and that is available on Amazon, and it is a great read. Now, if you like to reach out to Paula, you can reach out to her on www.tascaglobal.com, and she is also on LinkedIn. And this show is being brought to you by Cinda, Cinda Virtual, and Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital issues in Europe. For more information, please go to www.cinda.org. And Cinda will also be holding its first live event since the pandemic. It will be in Berlin in October 2021. So please go to www.cinda.org for for more information and with that we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america it's time to future proof your business join host bonnie d graham for the kinetic enterprise built to evolve presented by deloitte sap solutions help you transform your business And we'll start by going in-depth with topics and guests built around the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. Clean, intelligent, inclusive, and responsive. Move in to the next level with the Kinetic Enterprise, presented by Deloitte, live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tax laws are constantly changing. How can you keep up? 
Tune in to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. By working together year-round, we'll help you implement proactive tax strategies to ensure you are paying the least amount of tax possible and work to increase your business cash flow. We'll help you file your business and individual tax returns accurately, safely, and properly the first time. Listen every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and today we are talking with Dr. Paula Kelly-Jury, and she is a distinguished professor at the DeMore McKim School of Business at Northeastern University. And she is also the author of Build Your Culture Agility, The Nine Competencies of Successful and Global Professionals. And it's available on Amazon. So, um, Paula, we've been talking, we, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, curiosity, um, ambiguity, okay. And um, I'd like to kind of go into the nine competencies and one one of the things you talk about is resilience okay mm-hmm. um you talk about resilience in relation to cultural agility um as a competency can can you explain that sure sure so so resilience is one of those nine competencies and and the reason it's so important in a multicultural environment and kimberly you're a great example you you live in many countries you travel when we're able to travel uh, you travel all around the world and you know probably better than most that things will happen whether it's a 
piece of lost luggage or, you know, getting lost or just meetings not going the way you planned because they weren't, you know, the cultural context wasn't as predictable. We tend to have more situations, more mistakes, more missteps happen when we're outside of our, our, our own natural cultural environment. So the idea of being resilient, being able to bounce back from, from those little missteps, um, th- that's really helpful. And that actually helps us build that cultural agility. Mm-hmm. And and what makes people resilient? I mean, are they born with it, or is it? Does that come through what we talked about before? The, you know, the being able to deal with ambiguity and um, or you know curiosity. What makes people resilient? Yeah. So so with each of these competencies, um, so so resilience is one of those nine competencies. With each of these competencies, you're going to see that there's there's like a recipe for it, and that's what we talk about in the book. But the recipe. It's, it's like part nurture, part nature. Um, in the case of resilience, again, much like tolerance for ambiguity, much like curiosity, there's that, there's that kind of natural tendency. And this time it's in our way our bodies handle serotonin. So that's that ability to have this goal-directed optimism, the belief that things are going to work out, that, that, that sense that you can accomplish something. Like it, it's that it's failure or problems or challenges aren't insurmountable. Um, so that, that helps us bolster up our resilience. And then on the nurture side of it, it's building out, out our coping strategies. Okay. And um, building up coping strategies, again, we're coming back to what I asked a little bit earlier, you know, is this, is this, can we build it up or is this personality based? Um, you know, are some people just cope better than other people? Yeah. So, so with, like I said, with all of the, with all of these competencies, you almost imagine like my mom, um, you know, gave each of her five children, her sauce recipe. It's the same set of ingredients, but our sauces all taste a little different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a good, that's a good Italian American household, right? So, <laughs> so it's the same kind of thing. There's, there's basic ingredients for each of these competencies, how they configure in any person results in the level of competence that they have. So with each of these, you know, again, we, it's, um, with the case of resilience, it's partially kind of that, that nature side that, you know, how do your bodies handle, handle serotonin and the like, and then it's the nurture side. What have you built? What have you gained? What do you know how to do with respect to coping? So that could be problem focused coping, symptom focused coping is different types of coping mechanisms that one can learn to build regardless of, of kind of that natural, the, the nature part, <laughs> with, <laughs> regardless of disposition, you can learn to build resilience. You can learn to build all of these competencies regardless of where your start point. So as resilience, that's one of that's one of the third competencies. Can we can we move on and maybe share some of the other competencies with with our listeners today? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the way these nine competencies are bucketed, it might be useful um, to, to sort of get the overview. There's there's kind of these three competencies, the three we just discussed that kind of sit into this like self-management. How do you manage yourself when you're in a, a new novel culture when you're around people who are from a different culture. And that was the things we talked about, you know, the resilience and curiosity and tolerance of ambiguity. Then there's this other three, and, and, and that's all the relationship competencies. This is your, your relationship building, your perspective taking, your humility. And those are all critical because that's how you learn the environment that you're in and the, the cultural um, 
uh, group that you're with. And then that third bucket are task management competencies. That's how you read the environment and decide how to handle a cross-cultural difference. And those are, there's three of them there. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so yeah. in, the rela- in the relationship area, let's talk about mm-hmm. humility for a little bit, okay? Sure, um, sure. Um, because you talk about that, quite, you go into quite a detail in your book about humility and, um, you know, the process behind it. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. It, so humility is interesting because it kind of gets a bad reputation in, in a leadership context, um, especially in cultures like the United States. You know, it's, it's, humility is really about saying, look, at no matter how good I am professionally at what I do, no matter how advanced my technical skills might be, until I fully understand, until I have the humility to say, I don't really understand this place or this cultural context or how to be effective with this group of people, until you do that, you can't be fully effective. So humility is just the ability to say, hey, I need to learn a little bit more. Um, will you help me? Will you teach me? Will you show me? May I learn, help, help me understand how to be effective here. Help me understand if this way I'm reacting is correct. Help me understand how I could be even more effective in this presentation, doing this thing, whatever it might be. Um, so it's it's a it's one of those really critical ways we learn the environment. Mm-hmm. And and what the comment on it's difficult in professional building because people think it does kind of get a bad rep from time mm-hmm. to time. You know if it if you know if it. You know, if you have too much humility, you, you're not seen as a strong leader, okay? Um, how do you bring this across to people that it is a good thing, okay? It is something positive, especially in this global environment and and working with multicultures. Yeah, this is, you know, this one gets a little bit culturally embedded. You know, how you express humility um, is a little bit, it's, it's a little bit, contextual so in so i'm going to speak only for the united states and the u.s Mm -hmm. culture you know in in this context it's really the ability for leaders to get up and say you know what we we brought in these experts or we brought in this this person who understands this context it's the ability to say look at i have limits to my knowledge and i know when i need to bring others in to help me understand that knowledge. It's, it's modeling that it doesn't, doesn't diminish oneself. It doesn't diminish technical skills. It doesn't diminish leadership. It, in fact, enhances it because you don't pretend to understand something you don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in this bucket of, of relationship building, so we have humility. And then, you know, when I think about relationship building in a cultural, in, in a cultural sense, it, it's so difficult to, depending on, on which culture you're in. Um, I'm in Germany. It's quite different in Germany than it is in Czech Republic, okay? Um, how, how do you get the feeling of what is the right way to approach relationship building in certain different cultural environments? Yeah. Yeah. That is, I mean, exactly as you described it, Kimberly, it's so yeah. critical to understand, um, you know, you know, you're using the American example. So we, we have a natural tendency to smile at people. We smile at everybody and Americans are super smiley in many parts of the world. We would look, we look slightly crazy. So the, the exact thing that we kind of 
give off that smile to indicate, hey, we'd like to get to know someone is maybe turning others off. So 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 there is an inherent with with relationship building and all of the relationship oriented competencies. There is an, an inherent base of understanding that you have to know the cultural. You have to basically know your audience. <laughs> you Ooh. have to know the culture that you're with. Um, there are some universal tendencies that we can use regardless of where we are in the world or regardless of those with whom we're interacting. Um, but for the most part, exactly, you're, you're right. You have to understand how relationships are built. Sometimes it's you, you need to have a friend introduce you before you can you know, be trusted. Sometimes it's you have to show credibility before you're, you're, you're you know, trusted and liked. Sometimes you have to be liked before you gain credibility, you know, it's, right. it's very, yeah. it's very culturally specific. Yeah. But, there uh, are but are there, I mean, are there certain behaviors that can help increase, you know, the relationship building? Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, and there are, you know, it's funny because people say, well, gosh, you know, I, you know, there's what, 196 countries in the world, you know, how, yeah. how do we get to know every single, how do we do this? Right. And then there's all the generational nuances and professional right. nuances and layer, 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 everything on culture. And, and you know, now you get it to be kind of, uh, it, it's unwieldy, but there are some things that work universally. Um, finding similarity with someone works universally. What you find to be similar, though, is culturally nuanced. So finding similarity could be um, sharing an interest in a sport. Um, the reason why weather is such a safe conversation starter <laughs> is because humans, our human bodies experience weather. You know, it's not subjective. <laughs> right? um, and then the other is, is, is really... It's interesting that this aspect of psychology, it's it's called, you know, proximity, frequency, duration. So proximity, frequency, duration, meaning the more time you're kind of around someone, even if you're not interacting, the frequency of, of your, your interactions, the more you're, the longer time you spend in interactions, um, the more your kind of, your brain is signaling this person is someone recognizable. This person is someone to trust. So this idea that um, like passing your neighbor, you know, in the hallway and, you know, saying hi or, you know, passing your neighbor again, passing your neighbor again, passing. And at some point, you know, getting a longer conversation going that idea of proximity, frequency, duration, that's a universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I like that finding similarity because then that also gives you the uh, the ability to speak with people and you know find a common ground to talk. So I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, to, you know, to to try to find similarities because we 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 as people sometimes, Paula, don't we have a tendency to look at differences first? Is we that always of, do. Yeah. 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 And actually, I have to tell you, that's what is making me so nervous about what I'm seeing with uh, many, you know, well-intentioned diversity and inclusion initiatives are, are pushing hard to help people see differences, to help people understand and recognize differences, when in fact, the, the most powerful thing we could be doing to improve um systemic inequity to to increase, you know, the valuing of diversity. The most important thing we could be doing is training people on how to um, find similarity. We we did this as a, as a, as a controlled experiment and, and found that just meeting and talking with the 
with somebody who's culturally diverse with the only goal of the conversation being to find similarity raised a sense of openness to the other person, raised a sense of belonging to that group. It, it was amazing. The results are so powerful because we're fundamentally um, tribal and human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's that's a really good point because I, I hadn't even thought about that until you just say that on, on many of these diversity and inclusion programs really do focus on the differences rather than the similarities. And um, a shift in that could make a huge difference. And that's a, a very good point because we do have a lot of listeners who actually, you know, a lot of companies out there doing those kinds of programs. So a very good point. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, it's funny. Most of the calls I'm getting these days are from diversity and inclusion leaders um, looking for something a little bit different. I'm not a fan of unconscious bias training. I think all that's doing is introducing us to our little systems, which is lovely, except it doesn't give us the, the, the skills to say, okay, great, my brain is making subjective judgments. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anything, it's <laughs> limiting our desire to want to talk to people because I don't want to be biased, right? You know, I- <laughs> Exactly. No. Um, yeah. And then in relationship building, uh, there's perspective and we're going to take a short break. And I want to talk about that when we come back and then kind of talk about the bucket of tasks. Okay. And uh, when we get back. So for our listeners, we are talking to Dr. Paula Kelly Journey, and she is the Distinguished Professor of International Business at DeMore McKim School of Business, and she is the author of Build Your Cultural Agility, The Nine Competencies of Successful Global Professionals. And if you'd like to reach out to her, you can reach out to her on www.tascaglobal.com. She is also on LinkedIn under Paula Calajuri and and also on Twitter under Paula Calajuri. And that is spelled C-A-L-I. G-I-U-R-I. And this show is also brought to you by Cinda. And the Cinda is a nonprofit association in Europe helping support SMBs in the digital transition. And they will be having their first live conference in Berlin in October 2021. If you'd like to learn more about that, please go to www.cinda.com. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to future proof your business. Join host Bonnie D. Graham for the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve. Presented by Deloitte, SAP solutions help you transform your business. And we'll start by going in-depth with topics and guests built around the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. Clean, intelligent, inclusive, and responsive. Move in to the next level with the Kinetic Enterprise, presented by Deloitte, live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tax laws are constantly changing. How can you keep up? 
Tune in to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. By working together year-round, we'll help you implement proactive tax strategies to ensure you are paying the least amount of tax possible and work to increase your business cash flow. We'll help you file your business and individual tax returns accurately, safely, and properly the first time. Listen every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we are talking about cultural agility. And we are talking with Dr. Paula Kelly-Jury, and she is a distinguished professor at the DeMoor Kim of business, School of Business at Northeastern University in Boston, and she's also the author of Build Your Cultural Agility, The Nine Competencies of Successful Global Professionals. And um, Paula, before we go on to my next question, you know, we've got a lot of people out there, a lot of listeners probably saying, oh, am I cultural, you know, do I have cultural agility or not? And you have, <laughs> you know, I mean, you have a, 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 you have a website that people can go test themselves at. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I, I was just so fortunate to partner with um, an angel investor who very much believes that cultural agility needs to be increased uh, throughout the world. So we have we are offering for free um, an opportunity for individuals to test and develop their cultural agility through a, a website uh, called My Guide, but it's spelled in a funny way. So it's M Y G I I. D E 
guide.com. So myguide.com. And uh, what we do on that site is you can assess all of these cross-cultural competencies. It'll give tips on how to build those cross-cultural competencies. But you can also assess your cultural values. Um, and that could be, you know, formed from your, how you were raised, your generation, your profession, your, your, your national culture, lots of different ways that your values are formed. And then you can compare those to different cultures around the world. So it's, it's a fun tool. It's interactive. Um, it gives you tips and advice on how to manage yourself in, in different cultural contexts. All wow. for free. So my guide. Wow. <laughs> my guide. So that's uh, with uh, my and then guide with uh, G-I-I-D-E dot com. Yes. Right. Well, great. Yeah. I'm going to get off. When I get off, I'm going to go try it. So, oh, good. Um, right. It was, yeah, it is a, it's a great tool. It's a great tool. And I should probably mention where, it, you know, it's, it's a pre-release tool right now. Um, we launched it recently with, in, in conjunction, you know, with, as the book was launching, but, um, so, so if, if you go back, if you keep coming back, more and more features are being added, but it's, it's fun now. It's great. Now there's a lot on it. Right. Well, good. So that, that's great for our listeners. And, um, I just want to, before the break, we're talking about the relationship building and I I just want to close that with the question on perspective um, taking, because that, you talk about that in your book, okay? Um, you know, trying to, to under, take a, understand other perspectives. Could you talk about that a little bit? Certainly, yeah. Perspective taking, a lot of people think of this as, as empathy, the ability to see, see a situation or, or see, a, see something um, through another person's eyes based on, you know, their life experience and their values and their, what their expectations are. Um, so perspective taking is really anything um, that you can do, that enables you to see how another person might be seeing a situation with some level of accuracy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that uh, that is really quite important, and it kind of goes to. I like what you say, trying to find the similarities, and you could use mm-hmm. that. You could kind of pair that with also with perspective taking um, when you're when you're trying to to look at a different culture. And I know that you know when I first moved over to Europe, that was that was a really important aspect for me is trying to um, understand the different perspectives. Now, yeah. Um, yeah, and Paul, let's move into tasks. Okay. So what, what, is, you know, this, what, what falls in the bucket of tasks? Right. So, um, and there's those three buckets, buckets of competencies that we've talked about at the top of the show. We talked about how you manage yourself in a multicultural environment. Then we were just talking about how you, how you manage relationships and build relationships and strengthen those critical relationships in a cross-cultural context. This third is a little different. So with the first two buckets, everything's linear, more humility, mm-hmm. better, more perspective taking better, more resilience, better, you know, with this little different. So, so task management competencies are being able to accurately read the, the situation at hand, so the cultural nuances of what's going on, and then respond a- appropriately. So, so most people think of it as, oh, well, you just adapt, right? You, you just do what's expected in that cultural context. And actually, that's not true. That what we've found in, in research is that adaptation is one of the three possible responses. You absolutely need it if you're in sales or marketing or government relations or 
um, you want to adapt if you're if you're um, working with clients. I mean, in any of those situations, greater adaptation is good. But there are other circumstances where you can read the lens. You can read that there's a cultural difference, and you might say, "No, I need to hold the standard." of my organization or hold the standard of my own values, in which case you're going to be doing something counterculture. So in, in a, in a business context, we see it frequently in um, safety, ethics, um, operations. So for instance, a production schedule, quality assurance, where it's like, okay, look at, I get it that, you know, nobody here wants to wear hard hats or use safety harnesses, but you know what? Non-negotiable. This is what's happening. And then understanding how to persuade, how to motivate, how to do that correctly. And then, so that's, so those are two of the three. And then the last one is this idea of cultural integration where we say, okay, look, at, we're going to, we're going to say, we, we see that there's lots of cultural difference here. Um, how we approach the world is different or how we interpret it, things are different, but you know what? We're going to create a unit that has its own culture and we're going to navigate and negotiate what those um, what our culture will reward, respect, um, value, and and, uh, and how we'll behave. And that's called cultural integration. So what we're finding is that great global leaders are effective at sort of reading the environment accurately, understanding the strategic demands of the task, and then responding in a way, whether it's cultural minimization, adaptation, or integration, that's needed in order to execute on that task. So Again, not adaptation, <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, but it's more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about reading reading the world correctly, um, one of the things that you talk about in your book is interpretation. Okay, you know, and how do you how do you avoid the pitfalls of interpreting something wrong when you're going into different culture? You know, because we have our own upbringing, we have our own thoughts. Um, Sometimes when we see something, you know, somebody, we see this in, in business within organizations. One person will interpretate something one way, another one will the other way. And cross-culturally, it's just even more difficult. How do you afford, how do you, you know, avoid those pitfalls? Yeah, that, that's where the, the first two buckets come in. <laughs> so, so, so people who are great and very culturally agile, who are really great at this, they're the ones that are able to say, you know what, I get it that my brain, my limbic processor, my, my subjective interpretation of the world, it could possibly be wrong. So what I'm going to do is slow down my cognitions and, and objectively see what I'm seeing. So instead of subjectively saying, oh, that's um, correct, incorrect, right, wrong, beautiful, ugly, fair, unfair, those are all subjective, right? Instead of doing that, say you're, you're, you're just describing what it is you see with the most objective words possible. And then from the relationship building side, now that you've built that group of individuals who are, are ready to help you understand the environment, you bring those objective you know, observations to them and say, this is what I'm seeing. My eyes interpret it. My brain interprets it as X. Is that how it, I should be interpreting it here? It, it's fascinating when you see culturally agile leaders do this and do this well. They, they, they just basically, every, they kind of keep double checking their subjective judgments. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that that would make a lot of sense. And you know, with culturally agile leaders, um, you know, one question that kind of sits on the top of my head is, you know, we've just been through eighteen months where we all had to as agile as possible and we went virtual okay so a lot of business has gone virtually the this whole nine competencies when you kind of put that layer of virtual on top of it um it sometimes gets to me even gets more complicated because you're not really live there to read some of these indications or to you know to to uh, get the signals from other cultures. Um, is any of this going to change or is it getting harder or will it be easier as we go into this virtual world with trying to be culturally agile? Yeah, that that is probably the most critical question um, that I've been I've been getting asked for the past you know year. Everyone assumes the technology, all this virtual work we're doing, is making cultural differences kind of disappear. I promise mm-hmm. you the opposite is happening for the yeah. reason you just described. The opposite is happening because there's less. I mean, when we have to buy a plane ticket, get a passport, get a visa, get on a plane, go somewhere, you get, there's kind of all this symbolic stuff happening that you're doing something different. Or you walk into a room and and you're of a certain generation and others are of a different generation, there's something visual about that reminder that, that you're in a situation that might not be predictable for, for what you're about to do. So in the case of, of sort of all this tech-based interactions, especially because a lot of people leave cameras off, mm. we're losing a lot, of the, of, a lot of the visual kind of recognition that we're in a different, that we're in a cultural context. I'll, I'll give you a, a kind of a classic example. I was on a Zoom call a few weeks ago and um, partially European, partially um, American, you know, so there's about six of us on the group. And I'm watching, you know, things like um, informality. Americans are very informal. The, the parts of Europe, the individuals we were working with were more formal. Um, so their screens, their backgrounds were more formal. They're, they were dressed in a business appropriate way. The American, my American colleagues, more, much more informal. I mean, their their brains were going yeah. to efficiency. So some of them were having, you know, breakfast, <laughs> like eating their breakfast cereal during the meeting. Others were dressed in, you know, hoodies and sweatshirts and very casual wear. Um, it, it, again, the, the, which I think for this for that particular group. It, it mattered a little bit in that it sort of made, in the case of the American group, that they looked a little like they didn't care or they looked mm. a little too cavalier, or looked a little less engaged. Um, things like silence, um, the, you know, silence in some cultures mean you're, 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 you're being thoughtful and you're, you're really thinking through what's being asked. Silence in other cultures means mm. that, you know, you don't, you're disengaged. So in, in, in those cultures, they want to see kind of rapid kind of overlay of, you know, one person speaking, another person speaking to show engagement. Um, so all of these small things are getting blown up in this virtual environment. Yeah, yeah. That I'm gl- I'm glad you're seeing that way because I've experienced that that it's actually getting harder. It was harder in, in the virtual world, um, but we're getting uh, we're getting towards the end of our our um, program, Paula. So I just like in closing. I mean, we are we're we're a global economy. We have to be culturally, you know, a more more culturally agile, and we have a lot of professionals out there. So. 
if you were just to give, you know, one or two tips to to help the professionals, um, you know, be able to be cultural, you know, more culturally agile, what would that be? Aside from reading your book, which is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And go, go on to my guide. Just figure out where your start point is. I think you're going to find some, some really yeah. good tips there. No, I think, I think probably the, the biggest one is, uh, yeah, maybe I can give you two. Um, the biggest one would be recognize that your, your, your brain will, will naturally see the world the way it's been trained. So that depending on how you were raised, you know, your education, where you've lived, your profession, your generation, blah, 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 all those layers of socialization. So your brain is going to see things in a certain way, recognize that that way is different from the way others have been socialized. And just that acknowledgement that there's, that there, that you can see the world differently is a great first step in being able to say, hey, if we're seeing the world differently, that means we're interpreting the world differently. If we interpret the world differently, we need to get, you know, give each other the ability and the time and space to work together to um, figure out how to, how to do things well in different cultural environments. So that's one thing. The other one would definitely be um, get very good at, at finding similarities with everyone you meet. Super great tips and um, really a, a fantastic book. And again, for our listeners, um, you know, we have been talking to Dr. Paula Kelly and she is the author of the book, Build Your Cultural Agility, The Nine Competencies of Successful Global Professionals. It's available on Amazon, a great read. And um, Paula has also given our listeners access to the My Guide, where you can assess yourself, Paula, I guess, okay, yeah. um, on your cultural agility. And that is under www.myguide, and the guide is G-I-I-D-E.com. And, um, you know, Paula also has on LinkedIn um, a learning course called Managing Globally. So please check that out. And if you'd like to get in touch with her, please go to www.tascaglobal.com. She's also on LinkedIn under Paula Kalajuri, and that's spelled C-A-L-I-G-I-U-R-I and also on Twitter. So, Paula, thank you. This has been really fascinating. I think this is such an important subject. Um, and and thank you for bringing this, you know, focusing on this and making our all of us as professionals aware of it. And thank you for giving us time today for the show. Oh, it was my pleasure to be with you, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners, we are also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's uh, fastest growing nonprofit organizations, which holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and does legislative white papers focused on digital transitions for small and medium businesses throughout Europe. Cinda is helping small and medium businesses go digital. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And Cinda will be also holding its uh, first live conference, um, first one since 18 months, and that will be in Berlin in October 2021. Please go to the website, www.cinda.org, for more information. 
And please remember for our listeners, tune in to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time. But if you miss our live show, don't worry because we are on every major podcast platform. And with that, thank you for listening this week and have a great week until next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.